And I believe that if you're transparent, especially with your team, that builds trust. And once I've built trust, that to me is what causes somebody to say, I'm going to run through a brick wall for you. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, all kinds of things. We're at the 2022 Sloan Analytics Conference, actually back in person for the first time since we were here in 2020, I think. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, flying kind of solo, although LJ Holmgren and Tom Cerny and Scott Rosner will probably be joining me for some of these micro-podcasts as we go throughout the day today and tomorrow in early March. Uh, but we're going to get it going uh, with someone who I've known for more than a second, I will say. Um, Nicole Jeter-West has had some amazing career stops. Uh, we originally worked together at the Knicks, but she can kind of walk you through some of the places she's been, Legends, the USTA, and a new venture with another colleague of ours, Dan Maddox, that she's now deeply involved with. So Nicole Jeter-West, welcome to The Cusp Show. Thanks, Joe. Um, yeah, it has been a minute. I think that's a kind way to say it. So I appreciate I'm that. I'm very kind. We're, we're, we're kind people. <laughs> I so, like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. It has been a journey, um, but a great one. And I started it back in the, back in the 90s. Yeah. So 1999 was my first uh, entry into the Knicks, into sports. And it kind of was, you know, I, I like to say it was serendipitous. I started a... Uh, really coming out of college and looking to work in the ad agency space. I wanted to go work for one of the big ad agencies in New York. And I was like, this is, this is where I want to be. I want to be on Madison Avenue doing all of the big commercials. And I, uh, I went in to meet a good friend for lunch. That good friend is Matt Pizarras. There you go. Um, you may know him over at the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, now with the Bucks. Fear, now the, the, Bucks. Fear the Deer with Peter Fagan. That's right. So. And uh, he and I went to high school together. And wow. so I went there to hang out with him and meet with him. And in doing that, we actually uh, ended up meeting up with Mark Panis, who was the VP of marketing at the time. Who now just got another job, by the way. Which so, is so yeah. full circle. So. And, uh, and I didn't know, but he, I didn't know he was the VP, but he was like, hey, you look like you're, you're here to interview. And I was like, nope, okay. coming from other interviews, but mm. I'm here. And he's like, let's do an interview. You got another interview in you? And I said, sure. Next thing you knew, I was interviewing and he offered me a trainee position, mm. which back in the day was the glorified intern. Yep. Um, you got one year, nothing promised after that year. And uh, it was, you know, low, set, low, low hourly wage and you worked a ton of hours on everything you could possibly do in the garden. And it was the most amazing year of my life. And um, I had decided six months in that I wasn't going to leave and I was going to make a way for my, my name and myself to be important and valuable there. And so I started uh, the Groove Truck with the team and Groove started truck. doing grassroots marketing. And when my time came up, I said, well, who's going to run this if I leave? Mm. And they were like, you're right. Nobody else wants to run this. <laughs> so that was the, the beginning of the end. So did you, were you interested in sports or was it just kind of happened? I was always a fan of sport. Right. I played sports growing up. I loved watching sports. I was a big Nick fan. My dad and I were a huge Knicks fan. So I was always in sport and playing sport, but I never thought, nor did I really know that there was like a sports career in the business world. Right. Um, I went to university of Delaware. I studied marketing, but there wasn't a sports management program at my school. It wasn't something that was even on my radar. Mm. So when I got in there and I was like, wait, 
I could, there's like a business side to this sports thing. I, I fell in love with it. Mm. Um, and so I, I ended up staying there. I was at the Knicks for four or five years, that first tour of duty. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I've had these little stops, which you know, along the way where I've had some entrepreneurial moments. And so I left, I went to work for a small agency run by women, the mix, which is still in the mix. Is so you went around. from the mix to the mix? I did, That's which was good. just down so, the street from the yeah. garden. So I couldn't go too far from home. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then realized that I was like, there's this wonderful, powerful woman, Robin Streisand, running this company, mostly females. And I was like, I think I could do this. I think I could maybe start my own business. And so I started my own consulting business. And I was working with athletes and doing fundraising programs for Alonzo Mourning and Magic Johnson and really enjoying that space um, and did that for like two years. And I got to raise my first son um, in doing that and really got to work from home. And then Steve Mills called and said, hey. Steve which, was the president of the garden at the time. He was. And he asked if he, if I would, uh, if I would come back mm -hmm. and if I would, you know, consider coming back. And it was a very different time. It went from being the, the heyday when I started in 99, right? We were Eastern Conference Finals, San Antonio Spurs. Jeff Van Gundy was head coach. Yes. And then coming back, it was, we got a, we thought we had a wait list. We don't have a wait list. We thought we had, you know, we don't have a great product on the court and we've got a ton of tickets to sell and we don't have a sales team. And what year was that? Do you remember? Oh gosh. Joe. So who was the coach? Was it Isaiah, Larry? No, it was before Isaiah. It was, um, I mean, I was Don there during Cheney. Isaiah and I was, Don was there for a little bit. Yeah. So it was kind of in between because Ed yeah. Tapscott was there for like a minute yeah. and he left. Okay. But during that time, we, we had to build a sales team. We had to do all of these things that now are just commonplace in sport. Mm -hmm. We didn't have those things because we didn't need it. Right. Um, and so it was a very different time. Um, Hunter Lockman came in yeah. and, and I got to work with Hunter and we just had a great time building things that we'd never done before and creating and I loved it and I was there for another four or five years um and then I did another entrepreneurial stint I went to Evelyn's Kitchen wow <laughs> and I was the CMO and really that was my a good friend of ours who was also in the industry Isla Donchin oh sure she was in community relations for the next and and she ended up venturing out and having her own baked goods and savory treats and um she was doing it out of her home and I was like, this is amazing. You're selling a wholesale. You got to get into a retail space. And so I ended up working with her and helping her get out of her studio apartment and into a retail space in East Harlem, where she still is. Mm -hmm. um, and is, you know, she's been on Oprah's favorite things and on a, um, all of the cooking food network shows and, and has done an amazing job. But I was loving that. And I got to be everything from the CMO to the sous chef. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell you, I'm not a great sous chef. So I, I went back to what I love and what I know, which was sport. Um, and I got a call from Lou Shear. Mm -hmm. To go to the USDA. Yes. And Lou said, hey, I know we didn't work very much together at the garden, but there's an opportunity in marketing. And I think you'd be great for it. And so I, I went and, and got the opportunity to work with the team on the U.S. Open, all their pro tennis events, and run their marketing. And I did that for two years. And then in my third year, Lou came to me and said, hey, we need somebody who can run a digital partnerships group. I want to start a new revenue stream, build out this P&L. Um, and I said, great. Do you want me to help you find somebody? Huh. And he was like, no, no, I want you to lead this group. And I was like, 
I'm a marketer. This sounds like a sales like mm-hmm. role. This is not my thing. Digital, I know from marketing, but not from the perspective of what we're talking about here. You want me to build out all of our tech platforms, work with IBM, be like the liaison with them. And he's like, yeah, you, you, you can do this. You can build this team and do this. And I, I said, no, probably a, a f- more times than I should have. Um, and he, he was very persistent. And, uh, and finally, I took the leap, um, probably thanks to my husband who said, you know, what, what are you afraid of? So that's four startups t- technically so far, yeah. correct? Wow. Yeah. And then uh, when I went into the USTA and I was running that, we had so much fun. One, I got to build a team. We got to play in the tech space. Um, we got to push IBM to do things that they had never really done before. Mm-hmm. And we built all these new digital products. And uh, people didn't think that we were actually going to get our sponsors and partners to pay more than what they were already paying for the US Open because it's, it's a, a little bit of money. It's a little bit of money. Yeah. Lou's done a really good job there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did. We got to show and prove that there was value in these new products and new things that we were doing. And, and our partners came along, American Express, um, JP Morgan Chase, all of them. And, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then after I had that sort of worked out and had the right team going and that team was doing a really great job, Um, it was like, why don't you take on ticketing and hospitality too? (laughs) So I took on the ticketing group, um, and, and managed that team as well. And we were able to reevaluate our pricing, you know, come up with new products and services for our suites. It, It, you know, we just had a lot of fun in building that out and taking something that, you know, you would think is at the top of its game at the U S open and saying, you know what, there's an, there's room here, there's room to push, there's room to innovate. Um, and so was loving what I was doing there. It was a long commute from New Jersey to White Plains, mm-hmm. but I, I loved it. Um, and I had a lot of fun there. And then I got a call from uh, Mike Andreco at Legends. And he said, hey, we're doing some really cool things over here. And we're looking for a CMO. And I think you'd be great. And he wanted to introduce me to Shervin Rahashmi and Mike Toman. And then we... I remember going to the top of One World Trade Center because that was where we were running the attractions business and meeting them. And uh, it didn't take very long uh, for us to realize like this is a great fit. And I was super excited about what they were doing. They were run by, at that time, the ownership was the Cowboys and the Yankees. um, And we had great properties and brands. And what I learned at Legends was like building and growing a vertical really out of just an idea one day and the next day spinning that up and having a full team and a full group and offering services that maybe you didn't offer. And that kept us growing and being innovative. And, you know, we took being in the sports space into working in, you know, attractions and then growing that beyond that and really getting into the collegiate space with fundraising and just, um, I say I was always a CM, I was a CMO as a title, but it was new biz dev every day. Um, it was a lot of pitch work. It was a lot of working with our brands and partners. And I got to work with the most amazing brands from, of course, the Cowboys and the Yankees. But we were working with the Raiders. We were working with SoFi Stadium and building that. And so everything from project management and construction of a large project like SoFi Stadium and having the ability to be boots on the ground there to you know one world observatory and then also to like all the concessions and hospitality so it allowed me to really broaden my scope and work across a lot of different disciplines 
And then we, we started, we merged and we brought over a company in, in the UK and started working overseas and got global. And so it, it gave us a lot of opportunity to expand and grow in a very short period of time. Uh, one of our major clients we brought on, LA28. There you go. And uh, so we turn another page. Yes. So. And so as we, as we brought on LA 28, um, I usually got involved with most of the brands on like bringing them on board, working with them and understanding what their needs were. And as we were building out the teams, figuring out what the right teams were. And so I spent a lot of time working with that team, even before Kathy Carter came on. Well, and it's funny because there is a tie from your garden days to LA 28 in Brian LaFamina, who was yes. there. So, so it, it becomes a relationship kind of moving things along as well. Correct? It's been a relationship Op, really every opportunity and door has been purely because there's been an advocate on the other side for me who That's has a opened point. a door. Mm-hmm. And I'm truly like blessed for that opportunity because I really believe every time something has come, it's been because somebody has called me and said, Hey, we think this is a great opportunity for you. Or, Hey, you would be great over here. Um, I, I don't know the last time I put, you know, a feeler out on my own because people just, have done that for me. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not anything that I take for granted. Um, so I, I really am blessed. And, and I, I, I think about that every day, because mm-hmm. it's, it's not something uh, to, to take for granted. So I, I got uh, the opportunity to work with LA 28. And, and that and that's the organizing committee for the LA, the LA games yes. in 2028, six years from now bringing the games to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so the team had already done a great job in winning the bid at that time. Mm -hmm. And so they had already had gotten the bid and were awarded the games. But now it was about taking from the bid process to actually developing an organizing committee and having that organizing committee start to prepare for the games to come. Um, This is the longest time that any organizing committee has ever had in preparing for the games. Mm -hmm. And so that was significant. Um, It was significant from the standpoint of also, this is a no builds game. So they're not going to go out there and build a bunch of permanent venues and stadiums, but they're actually going to use the stadiums and and venues that are already in place. And um, really, you know, we talked a lot about it being a, a legacy play. It wasn't about, about buildings and having that be the legacy, but a human capital legacy about giving back to the community, about really making an impact in a way that maybe other organizing committees didn't have the opportunity to do because they spend so much time building out venues, building out the Olympic Village, building out places for athletes to stay. That wasn't the case for LA 28. So we got to like do a lot of blue sky thinking and dreaming on what that would be. Um, I got the opportunity to switch from legends into LA 28, thanks to Shervin um, and Kathy. Kathy came on board and she said, how do we get more of your time instead of less of your time? Mm. And Shervin's like, well, that's my CMO. Um, <laughs> but, um, but he also saw the, the opportunity, I think for me, but he also saw the opportunity for, for our client. And mm. so um, I'm forever thankful for that. Um, and then in that, I got to start working with LA 28 on a lot of different things, some blue sky thinking, um, data strategy, visioning, um, and coming up with some thinking around that. And then ultimately we decided we were going to launch the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happened, uh, Kathy came to me and this is another full circle moment, Amy Gleason, mm-hmm. um, Amy Giovanni back in the day at the garden, she worked at the garden with me. Um, she was in college partnerships, but I was on the Nick side. Mm-hmm. Um, she spent a number of years at visa 
working on the Olympics and working on that, that project for them, she was coming in and she was going to be the CMO for uh, LA 28. Wow. And so Kathy was like the two of you together um, working on this would be amazing. And I would say my time working with Amy had, was just a pure joy and pleasure. One, just a, a great friendship that kind of reblossomed, but also uh, I think we both knew each other's strengths and knew where we each would play our role. And Amy was really great at saying to me, I want you to run the launch of the brand. I want you to build that out um, and build the team. And so I got a lot of fun doing that. Um, and we were able to launch the first um, dynamic brand emblem, um, I think in sports, but I'll, I'll say at least in the Olympics mm -hmm. um, and Paralympics world. But, um, and, we, and we did that all virtually because it was during COVID. And so my team was all over the place and, and we were managing uh, multiple wow. agencies and, uh, and we were able to pull that off and, and had a lot of fun doing it. And then, and then let's bring us to now. And then I've got several questions. Yeah. By you. So then um, from there, we went to, uh, I was working on LA 28 and I, you know, I would say wasn't really looking for anything. Um, and I think, don't think in, at any point in any part of my career that I've actually been looking, right. it, it usually just comes and it sparks an interest. Um, and I was serendipitously in New York at an, SBJ event and uh, met up with David Nugent. Mm -hmm. David Nugent had started Omnigon back in the day and then sold that to Infront. Um, but I've known David since my time at the New York Knicks. Um, go again. So. so, yeah. And I actually worked with Omnigon and I hired Omnigon, I think, at every brand that I went to. Wow. So when I was at Knicks, when I was at the USTA, when I was at Legends, he has just come along and I've you know, it's somebody you trust. It's somebody who you know is going to give you the quality you need and somebody who's going to go above and beyond. And David's always done that. And so he and I started talking and he started telling me about what he was doing. I started telling him about a really cool opportunity that had come my way that I was considering. And he was, it was really more a coaching advising session that we mm -hmm. were having. And he told me to go take this other thing. Wow. And I, I was going to go do that. And a number of things took place but I believe everything happens for a reason. And when I came back and told him, he said, you know, I want to tell you more about what I'm about to go do with somebody else, you know, Dan Mannix mm -hmm. and Dan who uh, started lead dog and marketing experiential uh, brand business agency. Um, and I've also worked with him over the years at the end when Dan was at the NBA and at Lee Dan Dog. was at the NBA at Lee Dog. I brought Dan in when I was at one world observatory to build out mm -hmm. a whole experience. So, um, and he had also sold his business to CSM. And so they were getting together and they were going to start a new, you know, a new, a new entrepreneurial venture. And they were talking to me about it and I got really excited and they said, you know, we'd love for you to consider coming on as our CEO. And so uh, I sit here today as the CEO of Underdog Venture Team. First full week. First full week. I think mm -hmm. this is day three. Right. Um, and super excited about what we're about to do in the space and what I think we're going to bring to the space. Mm -hmm. So what is it? What, just give us like two minutes on what Underdog is supposed to be. Yeah. So Underdog, I, I always like to say is two, two things. One, full service agency. So everything from marketing, partnerships, um, you know, strategic planning, thinking, 
um, and being able to provide, you know, and, and also, you know, execution of events and, um, and the team has done an amazing job at that in their past lives. And we're bringing a lot of that to bear here. And so that full service agency experience and, and an exciting way to do that with different, different thinking and different mm-hmm. people, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then the other side of it is a venture. And so an actual venture fund in which we are going to invest in early stage startups. Um, and we've made a commitment that 66% of those early stage startups will be BIPOC or women-owned businesses. Amazing. Which to me was a passion play and drove me and got me really excited. Um, we're going to be investing in those early stage startups in the sports space, tech space, um, health and wellness. And then there's a bit of culture stuff too. We're doing some things that maybe fall on the the edges of like fashion and apparel. And mm-hmm. so um, excited about that, excited about the founders and the conversations I've already had, and it's only been day three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's a lot of really great innovation happening in the space. Um, and we're being really mindful about how we build our team. So I think in the space, you know, you talk about diversity and diversity and DEI is a big buzzword right now. I mean, I'm about to do a panel today on it. Right. Um, but when I think about diversity, I don't think about it maybe in the traditional sense. I think about diversity as diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. I think of diversity as diversity of personal and professional experiences. And I think about it as diversity of talent. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, that gives you the ability to have whatever you want to call it. Is, is it the, the soup? Is it the, you know, right. the, the mixture of It's not necessarily fabric. We need to have four women, someone right. who's of color. It doesn't matter. It's, it's figuring out how those pieces fit together, regardless of gender or color, but making sure that you have people who come from different backgrounds who can blend together. Absolutely. And right. really the purpose of it is a couple of things. One is it's proven. It's fact. If you have a more diverse group working on anything, you are going to be more innovative. Period. Stop. That's it. Because you're going to have people who come with different experience, different background, and they're going to bring different thinking. Yep. That is how you get to innovation. People have spent millions of dollars on courses and seminars and other things because they want to figure out, like, how do you get to innovation? How can we make our team innovation? How do I make an organization more innovative? Get diverse people. Get people who come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, who have had different experiences and put them together and let them innovate. Like that is that is just I mean, it's as simple as that. Simple, but not easy for a lot of people, because it's very easy, especially in a business that we've been in for a long time, like sports, where if it looks like me and it sounds like me, it must be true. It's so true. But I think we're in a position, especially in sports now. Right. I Mm -hmm. think the business world has at large has seen that that is the case and has moved in that direction. But we are in a position now in sports where we're behind the curve on this. Right. And we have to make some really bold moves to start to push in this area. And to me, it's about being really intentional with your hiring. You have to be intentional, not just with your entry level positions, but all of your positions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that means, you know, you might be looking at somebody who's in, that you need for your executive team. And they may not have the exact sports background that you're looking for, but they have marketing background in 
packaged goods or they have, you know, or they've been in the gaming casino space or whatever it is. Fashion, music, it can be and, and any of those and things. And the DNA applies, I would think, to whatever business that you want to be in. If you could just sit there and look and say, it's, it's, it's who you are more than kind of what you've done. Absolutely. So like, it's like, right. If you can sell, you can sell, right. you can sell. If I can sell you this microphone, I can sell you this microphone. Yeah. If I can sell you, I can sell you this bottle of water. Right. Yeah. It, and so like, that's where you have to start really being intentional on your, on your hiring and on bringing in people and then on giving people an opportunity to fail. Mm-hmm. So often, because we want to just pick somebody who's been in the circle who's gone to the sports management school, no knock on, on our friends at Columbia. Right. But I didn't go to a sports management program. I've learned the business. I think I've done all right. Right. Like, and it's not to say that you shouldn't go through a sports management program, but that doesn't mean that that's the only place where you should go seek for talent. And so I think, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to really be intentional in that space. Um, I'm also excited because we're looking at giving equity to people who participate in our company. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, I've listened in on some other sessions and conversations that happen. um, The wise multiplier yesterday, Mm -hmm. and you hear about, you've got the great resignation, you have people leaving and they're going to crypto companies, blockchain companies, NFTs, and they're going to places where they're also having the opportunity to participate and get equity. Um, And so I think, you know, a lot of us in sports have worked and have put in the hours and put in the time and we don't necessarily get to participate in that in mm-hmm. that up level. Right. And so now that there's spaces and places opening up in sport that are allowing that, it's becoming really interesting. And so I think for us as an agency to do that is going to be an interesting play in the market. And I'm excited for when people start to hear more about what we're doing and see the talent that's interested to come our way. Cool. So it's so a couple of questions um, as you've kind of gone through such amazing different stops. The difference in being at a startup that is literally from zero getting mm-hmm. started like you did mm-hmm. or a startup in, inside a company, which you did with the Knicks and the USTA and with Legends and even with LA 2028. What's the difference between the two when you've gone through it? Um, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, right, when you're inside a, a, a business that's already established and you're starting to spin up a new vertical or a new startup within the company, you have infrastructure, even if you don't have everything, you have the ability to pull on some of the operational things you yep. need, right? Um, like finance and, and HR and legal and all of those things that are going to be important to helping you get off and running. That's the biggest difference, I would say. Mm. Um, but you still have to be scrappy. You still don't really have a budget, right? You're still working with, you know, um, you know, a handful of talents that are doing multiple jobs and, and you've got to really be strategic about where and how and when you spend your time and where and how you spend your dollars. Mm -hmm. And so those things I think are absolutely transferable. Um, Also, you you know, you have a bit of equity in your brand and in your, and and what you stand for. Right. So when we were standing up something within legends, like legends was known for what we did and, and delivering and being able to deliver at the highest level. And so when we spun up a new vertical, you could kind of, lean on that right Mm -hmm. but when you're standing up something that's brand new you're leaning on your personal equity that you have right so this is that's the difference i think is you know dan mannix david nugent um we're gonna start announcing that we've got a number of other people that have come on board already Mm -hmm. um who are from this you know the industry who have who you know have that personal brand equity 
Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're going to use that in our past experiences to start. Mm-hmm. How, um, how do you know when to go? I mean, what's, what's your kind of like, you, I'm sure you get excited, not just for things that you do, but things that you don't do. How do you know when to make the jump? Is there something that you say, you know, this checks all my boxes or my husband says this is the right time to go? How, no, how that's usually when? not it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what, for me, <clears throat> it's varied. Sometimes it's an itch, right? Mm-hmm. I used to say I get like a four or five year itch. And I'd be like, okay, it's. But some have been less than that too. Yeah, some have been less. But usually that's been like a barometer of like, okay, I feel like maybe I've done what I can do here, right? Or I'm not maybe as excited and passionate. Um, But the other thing this time around for me was I actually took a step back and I did some real work. And I did some personal work and decided, like, what do I want my next chapter to be? Hmm. I feel like after being in the business for 20 plus years, I needed to do a bit of a self-assessment. And so I went away and, and just took some time and I did all the things. I meditated, I walked, I wrote, right? And in that, I came up with my, my filters of these are the things that I need in my next chapter. And hmm. so when you talk about checking the boxes, right, and um, the conversation that I had with Dave and and uh, Dan about what they were doing with underdog, it checked all the boxes. Interesting. And then a couple other things. You talked about loss and learning from mistakes. Are there any mistakes that you, or I don't want to say cringeworthy moments, but like something that you look back now and say, if I could have done it this way, and here's the biggest lesson that I learned from something that didn't go well. Mm. Not, easy, not easy to answer, but yeah, there's a lot. Um, I think probably early on or maybe mid, mid career, um, I always was trying to fix everything. Mm-hmm. And I got into this thing where it's like, okay, if I just like work hard at it enough and like go in and do everything I can and I put all the time and all the effort against it, like I'll be able to fix it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to get to a place where I realized like that's not the best solution. Right. And that I, and that if I get to a place where I'm not able to fix or solve what, what it is that that's in front of me, going to other people, be it my manager or director, you know, superior at the time or just colleagues. Right. And, and being able to say, Hey, I'm stuck. I don't know. Can you help? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think I learned that lesson a couple of times before I really learned the lesson was you've got to be vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I don't know exactly how to fix this. And that's hard because yeah. when you're a type a, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you, you're like, I, I can figure this out. I can do this. And when you've done it so many times in other ways, and then something hits you and you're like, wait, I don't exactly know. And so the lesson for me was like, don't wait too long mm-hmm. before you realize like you need help. And, um, and that you'll be better off and the people around you will appreciate it much more if you go to them and say, Hey, you know, and then I would say in, in general, (laughs) um, you're going to mess up. Mm -hmm. You're going to fail. You're going to do some stuff wrong. You're going to completely screw some things up. And as bad as it feels in that moment, like on the other side of it, in the grand scheme of everything, it's not nearly as bad. Right. So time time is helpful, right? Like taking a, taking a beat and going, okay, that seems really bad right now. This feels really bad and it may, but 
if I give it a minute, if I give it till the morning, right, or I give it till the next day, it maybe perspective will help me realize it's not so bad. And having the ability now after all these years to look at whether the whole forest is on fire or is it just a tree? Yeah. And, and you know, it may be your forest, but it's a small forest and, and you know. And if, if you're close up to that, right, yeah. like that one tree does feel like the whole forest is burning. Yeah. Yeah. But if you can step back and have that mm-hmm. perspective, you realize like, okay, mm-hmm. and I can put that out and I can save the rest of the forest and we can move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so to two quick questions uh, that we like to ask everyone. And Tom usually asks these, but I'm going to ask them now. Um, how do you stay up to date with all the things that you're trying to do? Are there podcasts you listen to, things you like to read, people you like to follow? And then the last question is, you've touched on a lot of this, but if there's one core thing that you tell young people, especially where people transitioning, and you've done a lot of transitioning, mm-hmm. what's the advice you give them? So how do you stay up to date and what's the advice you give them? So staying up to date, I mean, it's a challenge right? Like there's so many, there's so many podcasts. There's so many blogs. There's so many things, How many everything. Oh my gosh. I got so many. Right. Um, and so social, right? Like I I'm, I'm good for like, okay, quickly going through and seeing like, okay, what's happening on Insta, what's happening on Twitter. Right. Like just because you'll get the quick hits. Um, but I do like reading, you know, the boardroom. I do like reading the drum. I do like, there's, you know, SPJ, of course. Right. But like, I, I also like looking outside of that space. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm big to like, okay, what is, what's happening on Forbes? What's happening in entrepreneur, right? Like I want to make sure that I have a mixture. Um, I follow like fashion a lot and what's happening in that space, because I just think just looking at sport, you're going to miss some things. Yep. Right. Fashion, music, pop culture. Tech, yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, VCs. I listen to a number of VC podcasts. Right. Like, so to me, like, I've always wanted to have like a mixture of things that are informing me on, on any given day. Um, and so I never like to just look into the sports space. Um, it's probably, I say sports has become less the the thing that I, you know, wake up and I'm like, oh, okay, let me know everything that's happening in this space. I I'm aware of it and I know it and I'll get it throughout the day. Um, but I really like to make sure I have a good understanding of some of these other cultural things that are happening in this space. Right. And now the crossovers, you know, they're, they're everything is it's blended together. Blended. It's all one. Yep. It's all one. So the advice, what do you, you know, the, the, you know, yeah. you get these questions all the time, I'm sure, but you know, what's the thing that you like to tell people? I say this all the time about myself. And so I think this is probably the one thing that I share with people the most is I'm transparent to a fault. Hmm. And so if, if you ever work with me um, as a colleague, as someone who's on my team, um, as somebody who hires me, I, I tell you that right out the door. Um, I am transparent to a fault and that can be good or that can be bad, but hmm. that's what you're going to get with me. And I believe that if you're transparent, especially with your team, that builds trust. Mm. And once I've built trust, that to me is what causes somebody to say, I'm going to run through a brick wall for you. Yep. And so I've always believed people, people don't stay or join organizations. They work with people. Mm-hmm. They join other people. And so if, you know, we talk about what's the most important thing in an org, it's talent. It's the people that you have there, right? Yep. That is what makes your organization. And so if I can be transparent with them and vulnerable with them about everything, they're going to trust me. And if you have somebody's trust, there's no end to what they will do. Right. And that's from 
if I've got to stay late and work hard, if I've got to jump through hoops, if you want me to eat fire or like whatever it is, Mm -hmm. I trust that you're going to get us to where you're trying to get us. And so I'm, I'm in. Um, And I think I've seen like the best leaders that I've worked for and had the privilege to be around. Um, They've been able to be open and vulnerable with me. And so it's, it's something that I've always, I've done it from when I had one person working for me and, and now, you know, it's gone to be multiple. Um, and I still say the same thing. Uh, and I think that I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that until somebody tells me that it's not working, but it's been working so far. It's been an incredibly transparent thought actually. <laughs> so, uh, Nicole, last question is, uh, tell us where people can find if the site is up now, where underdog is and how they, they connect with you. Yeah. And where, where is it that, that people find you? So you can find me at, at Jeter West everywhere. So mm-hmm. it's easy, right? So at Instagram, at Twitter, at Jeter West, that's where I am. Um, underdog Venture Team. And the site is going up. It's not up yet, but mm-hmm. it will be up. Because um, <clears throat> I think we'll, we'll officially be uh, public uh, announcing next week. And so, mm-hmm. or when this when airs. When you're listening to this. Yeah. When you listen so, to this. So sorry, so yeah. to find the website so without going will. to a dead place. Yes. So, so Underdog Venture Team. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Cool. Uh, once again, you've been listening to Nicole Jeter West here on the Cusp Show. It's been an amazing, transparent <laughs> journey for you for more than just a minute, a little bit more than a minute, minute and a half, let's say. Uh, but once again, uh, thanks for joining us on the Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito, sitting in for my co-host Tom Richardson and L.J. Holmgren and Tom Cerny here at the Sloan Sports Conference in March of 2022. It is March of 2022. Thanks for listening and we'll see you down the road.